The Disney Plus original movie, Togo, allows us to ponder the topics of epidemic quarantines, everyday heroes, and a devotion that knows no boundaries. Are you just watching? Episode 103, Togo. Welcome to the podcast that shares critical thinking for the entertained Christian. I'm E. Franklin. I'm Tim Typhoid Mary Martin. <laughs> and we are both coming to you separately, more than six feet apart from our separate <laughs> studios. Mine in the great state of Kentucky and yours in the great state of Virginia. Uh, so well, we are not so great state. Yeah, well, we're not breaking quarantine. That's the point. Yeah. And actually, if you want to get specific, it's not even a state. It's a commonwealth. Well, you know, so is Kentucky, amazingly. Is it really? I didn't know that. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Kentucky is also a commonwealth. I don't so really we're coming from the, the commonwealths. Neither do yeah. I. No clue. <laughs> so we decided for this particular episode that we would do something streaming because neither of us can get to a theater and the theaters are all closed. Hmm. And since we're quarantining at home, we figured we'd hit the streaming services and pick out a movie. Uh, hopefully the other people have had the opportunity to see. Togo has been airing on Disney Plus since the end of December, I believe. And it's uh, a good family-friendly movie. There's nothing in it seriously bad. So uh, it's one that we can share without any qualms, though I think probably most stuff on Disney Plus is fairly family friendly. Yeah. I wouldn't say that across the board because Disney is not necessarily as a company as family friendly as Christians would like them to be, but. That's for sure. Yeah, in this case, this movie is uh, pretty decent. The original music for Togo is by Mark Isham. It's very beautiful, has lots of strings. There's part of it that reminds me of the intro piece from the movie Arrival, which we did a review on, was that two years ago? <laughs> Time flies. Was it that? Um, yeah, I guess it was. <laughs> the There was this really pretty string piece that played at the beginning of Arrival, and uh, very thoughtful, very pretty. And there's portions of the score that sounded just like it, but it's not the same composer, completely different co composer. I will play a little bit of the music here so that you can also enjoy how beautiful it is. was very moody. I think it kind of really tied this, the impact of the movie together. If mm. those of you who have maybe not seen the movie, the story of Togo is not one that we can really spoil because it's a story that has been told many times. <laughs> it comes right out of history. Yeah, it's a hundred years old. Yeah. <laughs> so it's about the Great Serum Run of uh, Nome, Nome, Alaska that happened in what was the date of that? It was 1925. There have been lots of movies done. There was another oh, Disney yeah, that, movie. That was the famous one with Balto. Yes, there was a Disney movie with Balto. Uh, there, that Just last year, there was another theatrical release, which I understand. I haven't seen it myself, but I understand it was a big dud. It was called The Great Alaskan Race, which actually uh, featured the story of Togo over the story of Balto. But... It was not a very good movie, from what I understand. So we are hmm. going to review Togo, not The Great Alaskan Race, because neither of us have seen The Great Alaskan Race. <laughs> and uh, I think Togo's probably a much better movie. I don't think either of us are going to be able to see The Great Alaskan Race, since we can't find it. Yeah, it is a little difficult to find. I did look for it, and uh, I wasn't quite willing to pay rental prices, so... I couldn't find it anywhere where I didn't have to pay streaming rental prices. 
So Balto is the name of the dog everybody remembers. But this movie is about Togo, the lesser known dog who actually did the most amount of work in the Surum run. Mm. And I had never heard of him before watching the movie. And it was it was a good movie. I um love dog movies, love true stories. So this one kind of ticked all the boxes for me. This was yeah. a very well done movie. The act, the acting, direction, and effects were very impressive for a made for streaming movie, which it was made for streaming. Mm-hmm. And above all, my probably biggest happiness with the movie, or what I thought was best done of the movie, was the casting was very well done. William Defoe plays Sepala, and if you see their faces side by side, they couldn't have casted him better. Yeah. He definitely looks like the Leonard Seppala from history, the pictures we have of him. Yeah. So those are my initial first impressions. Quickly run off. Do you want to talk about yours? Yeah. Yeah. I enjoyed the movie, but I I had some qualms with it. it minor. Minor qualms, really. This was a... It was an enjoyable movie. It was a powerful movie, to be sure. But I thought it was a bit too heavy in the dialogue department. There seems like every single line was written to be quote worthy. <laughs> and I might just be complaining because, you know, I was literally writing every single line into my notes. <laughs> so that's why you didn't like it. It made you, you had to take notes. It made me work hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a serious movie about a very, very serious subject. And the all the humor w- of which there was not enough in my mind to balance, but all the humor was centered around Togo. The backstory of Togo. Yeah, yeah, the backstory of him growing up and everything. But that might have been actually, you know, a creative choice, a, a conscious creative choice. Because the movie, hey, let's face it. It's about Togo. Yeah. I just, I, I felt like we could have used a little more levity. I did enjoy the the banter between Constance and Sepp about, that's what I get for marrying a Belgian. That's what I get for nor- marrying a Norwegian. Yeah. <laughs> or or the, the comment that she made when he first came back that she had her many lovers that she had to keep happy while he <laughs> yeah. was out on the road. Exactly. And they were obviously a very well-committed. Yeah, obviously well-committed couple. So it was obviously just a running joke, but it was really funny. Uh, speaking of which, I really appreciated the portrayal of the characters as real, complicated people with real, complicated feelings. You could see it in the faces, and uh, you could hear it in the way they delivered their lines and in so many of the characters. And we're not just talking the main ones of of Sepp and Constance here. We're talking the doctor and the mayor and uh, even a couple of the other guys in the the opening town meeting scene. Yeah, and and the way stations and the the other drivers. Oh, the way... Yeah. The the Inuit uh, husband and wife team really, really, you know, touched me in the feels <laughs> type thing. Yeah. With the, the way they delivered the lines. But the one I think did the best job was Julianne Nicholson, who uh, I recognize from Law & Order Criminal Intent. And she did such a good job playing Constance, uh, Sepp's wife. The way she delivered the lines and the way she communicated with the expressions on her face... It was so subtle, yet it did such a good job. I Obviously, as a streaming movie, it's not eligible for an Oscar, is it? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Regardless, I think she deserves an award for her job in it. Yeah. I liked how, and not just Togo, but Togo really drove it home for me uh, as far as recent movies. I liked the portrayal of the strong community and traditional values. Mm-hmm. Even though Hollywood portrayals like that do tend to uh, lull us into a uh, a sense of the good old days when really <laughs> the good old days really were not all that good. Uh, people were just as as sinful 
and just as liable to lie, cheat, and steal as they are today. They're just better but, at hiding um, it. Yeah, exactly. And the only other comment I had was I thought the CGI weather, uh, or, or specifically the CGI hazards that uh, Sepp and his team, his uh, sled team faced, were over the top. Mm. In particular, the the storm wall was really impressive coming towards you, you know, uh, but then when he's crossing the sound and the ice is breaking up, I was just like, no. Which is interesting because they say that that did happen to him on one of his yeah, trips. Maybe exactly. not necessarily the, the serum trip, but he did have problems with breaking ice on the and yeah. having to throw his just, dog off. Uh, oh, yeah. Throwing his dog like a uh, grappling hook. Yeah. It's, and I don't, just to be clear, I don't doubt that it, that happened. I just don't think it was that dramatic. You know, it's, I've been, I grew up in mm -hmm. Michigan and we had lakes, you know, so packed so tightly around us, you couldn't throw a stone without hitting one. So it's, I remember what it was like to have ice break up, but the ice, I mean, it was, it was breaking up. It was four feet thick and poking out of the ground, like uh, apocalyptic landscape changes, <laughs> and, which was really great visual, but it was overly so for me. It would be interesting to find out exactly how ice breaks up in the Arctic, because it, it may be different up in yeah. Alaska than it would be in Michigan. So, you know, you never know. That's they a good may point. Have, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's where I, well, ice barks are, is broken up ice. So I could see it, you mm -hmm. know, changing shape and turning and twisting and basing on the, the density of the ice and what what have you. So yeah, I'm sure it's dangerous regardless. <laughs> I understand there are a few things more dramatic than the calving of a new iceberg. So I might be completely yeah. off base here. <laughs> yeah. So overall, I think we both like the movie and would recommend it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I would definitely recommend it, particularly... In this time of homeschooling, mm -hmm. I think it is a very family-appropriate movie. Uh, I don't remember any bad language, and there certainly wasn't any any adult situations. It, it does, you know, it, it does feature death as a main theme, even though it doesn't really picture it. Show it. it. Yeah. Yeah. So, if, you know, younger children would probably need some extra discussion with it. But uh, I think the this is the exact kind of history that we we risk repeating if we do not uh, remember it. Uh, so if I still had kids at home doing homeschool, this is the kind of movie that I would use for that and uh, and discuss the stuff like the the epidemic and the the people. Yeah, I mean, it's it's got historical context and there we we actually discovered in researching for this episode that there is actually a lot of information on the web about uh the true story mm -hmm. about Sepala and Togo and Balto and the and that whole run so there's lots of ways you can tie that into a history lesson uh and yeah. of course we do encourage you always to look on upluggedin.com and check out their review because they often will see issues with a movie that we don't see cuz we don't are not nearly as sensitive as they are. <laughs> <laughs> so do check out what they have to say about it. And uh, in case you are concerned about showing it to your family, but it is yeah. a rated PG movie. So it is pretty mm -hmm. clean. And uh, from a story standpoint and the fact that it's not, it's telling true history. I think it's, it, it, we can say we highly recommend it. Yep. I agree. So you wanted to talk briefly about uh, the use of animals in as, I guess, work animals yeah. or? Yeah, it's livestock, work animals, um, animals in general. And it, the reason is, let me lay this out real quick. I am a dog lover. I have, uh, my family has had a dog, one or more dogs for every year of my life. The only time that I have not personally had a dog in the household is when uh, I was 
single and unmarried. So we're talking, let's see, 89 through 92. Um, but my family still had dogs and, and I would visit them. Anyway, regardless, too much information. <laughs> I now live in the Hampton Roads region of Virginia. I live in Virginia Beach. And uh, right next door to us is Norfolk, which is the home of PETA, the People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. And PETA and I have some uh, rather strong disagreements <laughs> on philosophy and theology. Uh, theirs is a theology of worshiping creation. And they hold to a philosophy that animals are every bit as important and as worthy of consideration and respect as human beings are, which has an element of truth to it because it's part of creation. Uh, but it, 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 in the end, it simply is not true. If you come down to having to choose to save a dog or a person, you save a person every time. Yeah. And, you know, this is coming from, it's, my two dogs are both very important to me. We love them. We have a 16-year-old Cocker Spaniel and a uh, a seven-year-old uh, Mutt. And <laughs> they they are members of my family, but they're not people. They're animals. They're not made in the image of God, but they are part of God's creation. And mm -hmm. we're called to be proper stewards of all creation. And that means, if necessary, using the animals of that creation to serve God and others all the way up to and including death if necessary. And the if necessary part is where the stewardship comes in. And yeah. a big part of this movie, you are convinced by the filmmakers that Togo is uh, not going to survive the the run. And I want to uh, be clear there, too. I, I specifically, once we talked about doing this movie, I had to willfully avoid looking up Togo because I had never heard <laughs> of him before you mentioned it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to ruin the movie. I wanted I wanted to be surprised by by that. And it's pretty rare that we get a history topic that I don't know anything about. Much about. So yeah, yeah. It's I. I mean, I knew I knew the story of Balto. Obviously, uh, I knew about the the uh, the dog sled because this 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 run is the basis for the Iditarod. Right. You know, it's I I knew bits and pieces of it, but I'd never heard the name Togo. And if you go into it with that frame of mind, like I did, you spend a lot of a lot of the time thinking, "Oh, is this is this a scene where he dies?" Actually, my wife came <laughs> into the my wife came into the room and said, "Is is he going to die?" And I said, "Yeah, I think so." She she left. Yeah, she didn't want to watch it. <laughs> Yeah, and then it's like 15 minutes more of the movie, and the dog's just not dying. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel bad at the end. I was like, oh, I sent her out of a really good scene. <laughs> All because I thought the dog was going to die. I wanted to call out some scripture. Because uh, as Christians, we are guided by the word of God, which is how God communicates us communicates to us in this day and age. And uh, we are called to be fair, even to the animals of creation. Uh, Deuteronomy 25.4 tells us, do not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. And if you don't know, uh, if you don't know what that means, picture two oxen yoked to a spindle that just spins around and, and, uh, and these two oxen, they just, or four oxen, or, you know, however many you have, they just, uh, they walk in a a trough that has grain in it. And what that does is it breaks up the grain, it breaks the um, the chaff and the wheat apart, so that the, the people can then scoop up the grain, put it on sheets, and then shake out the grain so that the chaff is blown away and the wheat, the heavy wheat remains. 
And Deuteronomy 25.4 tells us, don't muzzle the, don't prevent the ox from eating of the grain because it's doing all the work. So yeah. it, it tells us to be fair. A lot of people use that scripture also as a means of that, you know, basically the workman is worth his hire. So you don't. Yeah, exactly. It's it's a very uh, broad, broad verse that can be applied in a lot of different ways. Yeah, it's which is uh, one of the great things about scripture is because, you know, this verse 25, four Deuteronomy 25, four, it doesn't exist alone. Um, mm-hmm. And it it can be tied to so many other verses that that expand the the word of God in ways that we are constantly discovering for ourselves. So we're called to be responsible about creation, and in Proverbs twelve ten, it says the righteous cares about his animal's health, but even the merciful acts of the wicked are cruel. And we should all be striving to be righteous. And of course, you know, these animals are all our responsibility. And I know we have talked about this one before, Genesis one twenty six. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So these animals are all our responsibility and stewardship and we are called to use them in the fulfillment of god's commandments and you know the two greatest commandments love the lord your god with all your heart all your soul and all your might and love your neighbor as yourself so i just wanted to throw this all out there yeah, and I want to cap it off and tie it back to the movie because there's a quote near the beginning of the movie which didn't make it under our notes, but it's uh, between Constance and Sepala, where she's demanding that he not take Togo on this run because Togo's old. He's 12 years old, mm. and she's afraid that he won't survive it. And uh, Sepala, quite frankly, turns on her and he says, do you want me to return? Because if I don't take Togo, there's a high chance that I won't make it back. And I need Togo to survive this trip. And so there was, yeah. a you know, he loves Togo as much as she does, but he understood the limitations of the uh, the rest of the team. And that if he didn't have a good lead dog on this very dangerous trip, that there was a high likelihood that he wouldn't make it back. And so that was him, you know, being truthful about his need for his work animals to be dependable and trustworthy yeah. on a dangerous trail. And that it was a choice between the dog's life and his own. And, you know, it's I, I didn't remember it until you uh, mentioned it, but there is a scene where he he can't see anymore. Sep can't mm-hmm. see anymore. And he says, he tells Togo, take us to the waypoint. Because they, they've done this run, you know, before. Right. Uh, so Togo knows where to go, but. Togo, he does it, and I don't have any reason to think that that didn't happen. But Togo saved Sep's life and Mm -hmm. the serum. Yes. If they did not survive the run, it was death sentence for everybody in Nome that was sick. And so it, it was definitely a situation where it wasn't just one life in the balance, or even the lives of the dogs in the balance. It was the life of people that were dying of diphtheria yeah. in Nome. Children. Yeah, children. Yeah. Which brings us to our, our first real major theme that we wanted to talk about, which is quarantine, because that's what we're in mm. right now. Uh, we're suffering a pandemic <laughs> right now, a worldwide pandemic of uh, something like nobody's ever really seen before. I don't, I don't even think the Spanish flu and then in 1918 hit the level that this is hitting uh, worldwide. Mm. And just as, I mean, not necessarily in deaths, but in the, the way it's affecting every nation. It's like we, we've become yeah. so open as an international community that once it pops up somewhere, it, it ends up being everywhere. And it's just flabbergasting to see, uh, how many countries now have cases of 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 co COVID nineteen? Which I actually was yeah. watching an article. I'm saying that wrong. It's actually C O V I D 
19 because uh oh really see yeah cov stands for coronavirus and id 19 is the type so i think everybody's been saying it wrong but anyway uh, we'll call i've been it pronouncing COVID it because out. that's what yeah I and think i'm that's intimate what everybody with it does. so <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, so as for those of you who maybe don't follow our Facebook page or group, you may not have known that as soon as we finished our recording of Emma, is literally the day after we recorded our last episode on the movie Emma, Tim came down with the coronavirus. So you want to <laughs> talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so, you know, a lot of people have drawn comparisons between COVID-19 <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> Which is the illness, which is actually the illness caused by SARS-CoV-2, the vi- the name of the virus. They a lot of people draw comparisons between that and the flu and uh, the historic uh, 1918 Spanish flu and uh, and other epidemics. And I can't speak to the 1918 flu because I wasn't around for that one, but I can tell you <laughs> that. My case of uh, COVID-19 was hands down the worst illness I have ever been through in my my 50 years on this planet. I was miserable beyond mention. There were times where I was laying under blankets, uh, at least one of which was heated, and shivering so badly that my entire body ached. Mm. I couldn't walk from the bedroom to the living room, you know, the length of 25 feet without running out of breath. And uh, it was absolutely horrible. And it dragged on and on. When they say, when they say two weeks for it to run its course, they are not joking. It actually took me 15 days to go from first symptom to symptom, essentially symptom-free. At the end, they say the cough will hang around. And uh, and I still, uh, every once in a while, I still still cough a little bit, but nothing like, you know, the, the, I better pick that lung back up and put it back in my chest type coughing that I had while I was Mm. sick with the COVID. But I can I can easily understand how people are end, ending up hospitalized for this and dying. Mm-hmm. Now, keep in mind I have uh, what are called comorbidities. I number one I'm obese. I'm a I'm a I'm a big guy. I'm three hundred pounds. Even though even though I'm I'm relatively fit under all that fat, <laughs> I'm still a big guy. Uh, I also have family histories and personal histories of hypertension and diabetes. Uh, I'm type two diabetic and have been doing, you know, uh, diabetes medicine for 25 years, 20, 20, 25 years. So those comorbidities uh, made it significantly worse for me than your normal person might be. As a matter of fact, both my wife and daughter caught it from me. They were considered adjacent COVID-19 cases never tested because they they didn't get serious enough symptoms to receive the test, which back then, <laughs> back then, we're talking three weeks ago, back then, the tests were in much shorter supply. Yeah. But my wife, my wife is still coughing badly and, and uh, under the care of a doctor. My daughter, thank God, is fully recovered. But it was a scary illness. Scary, scary yeah. illness. And it's really interesting because in in the context of this movie, I did a little research. I don't really know that much about diphtheria, but it sounds like it's not the same, but a very similar type of way to die. Because in uh, with COVID-19, it sounds like the people who die of it are basically suffocating. Uh, they're not able to get enough oxygen into their system. And it sounds mm. like, at least from what I've been hearing, is that it's more on the cellular level than on the lung level, where it's not that they can't get air into their lungs. It's literally their cells cannot carry the oxygen. And so it's very like... Yeah, it was. I seem to remember it's an infection of the red blood cells, 
isn't it? That prevents them from actually, it, it replaces the oxygen and saturates the red blood cells with itself. Yeah, so that they can't carry the oxygen. Well, diphtheria yeah. is different in that diphtheria has a, it almost like cut, coats the back of the throat with dead skin. And so, mm-hmm. and, and their, their throat swells and they can't breathe past all of the stuff in their windpipe. And so they suffocate because they can't get the air in. And um, oh. still a very terrible way to die. But it's it's actually kind of similar in that there it has to do with, you know, not being able to breathe. Respiratory. And, yep. Yeah, it's respiratory. And the sad thing about diphtheria is that it, it doesn't, like uh, COVID-19 appears to be attacking people with, as you pointed out, comorbidities and people yep. with pre-existing health problems. It's usually not the COVID-19 that kills people. It's the pre-existing health conditions uh, that do. and Or complications, yeah. Or complications, yeah. And But with uh, diphtheria, it was actually attacking children the most. And so it was the youngest and the most vulnerable that were getting it. And that, I mean, it is just very sad when you think about that and you put it into perspective of this, this town that's literally watching their children suffocate to death and it's uh, very contagious and they needed that serum to save the children and so it, it's it's a similar but different kind of quarantine because i you know they they were trying to keep the ones who had it away from the people who were healthy so that it wouldn't spread mm-hmm. and i'm not entirely sure how diphtheria is spread but it, it was bad and so we just wanted to talk a little bit we belong to the Christian podcast community, and this topic has already been done over and over again over the last couple, <laughs> two to three weeks, yeah. and our, our fellow podcasters' podcasts. Um, but we did want to talk And we don't even about, all agree on it. <laughs> we, I did want to talk briefly about the Christian responses to not necessarily COVID-19, but what people of faith do in these types of situations, because people are literally hiding in their homes out of fear of death. And we see organizations like Samaritan's Purse putting up hospitals in Central Park and in uh, Italy uh, to help treat these, you know, bringing in Christian doctors and Christian nurses to help care for these people that are dying and putting themselves in harm's way. And it's not just Christians doing it, because there are a lot of uh, doctors and and other medical personnel who are not Christians who are on the front lines of this. We'll talk about them shortly. (laughs) Yeah, we'll talk about them shortly. But as a Christian response, do we face these kind of situations with fear? What should be our eternal outlook on this kind of situation? Because as I have mentioned to some friends recently, I really believe that we we are faced with Christians with a you know a choice that, you know, just living is a risk. I mean, and we have a hundred percent certainty of a physical death. But as Christians, we do have an eternal perspective that that gains priority over that. And that is, as you pointed out earlier, love for our neighbor, love for our God, and how we interpret that in a situation where there's a pandemic has a lot to do with, I guess, what what our, our faith is in and, and what our outlook mm-hmm. on life is. Yeah. If we become so selfish that all we can think about is keeping ourselves safe instead of what might be of use for someone else or on the the other extreme end our own personal liberty where we don't feel like we have to worry about our safety to the point that we put others in danger because we're not concerned about other people so it it comes with two extremes and it's a hard question and i think it's something that we each have to answer ourselves with conscience before the holy spirit and god be, and and through reading scripture because I'm not entirely sure there is a right answer. Like you just said, we all disagree. I mean, even in the Christian community, how exactly that looks. But I did want to point Mm -hmm. out that there are some scriptural portrayals of this kind of thing. We, of course, have the 10 plagues in Egypt. (laughs) You know that with the 10 plagues, the one that most feels like what we're dealing with now is the 10th plague, the, the death of the firstborn. Mm-hmm. It's because it's they had to they had to paint their um, threat threshold isn't the right word doorways yeah yeah with lamb's blood and then stay in the house so they they had a they had a shelter in place order from God 
Mm-hmm. And you know they didn't violate that. Yeah. And it wasn't just a shelter in place. I mean, they had all these things like they had to cook the lamb and eat it all before morning and there, there would be no yeah. leftovers. And there was like all of these all of these rules they had to follow to survive that uh, a first Passover, which is, you know, it's funny because we currently just celebrated Passover as well as Easter. So this this is a really interesting time to be discussing this. <laughs> The the next one that comes scripturally are the snakes among the Israelites in the wilderness. And this was a plague brought on to them by their own sin. And I know a lot of people are saying that COVID-19 is God's judgment, especially on the U.S. and on the world mm. for its uh, sinful behavior in, in recent years. And whether or not it's God's particular judgment because of particular sins, we do know that God judges sin. And so it doesn't matter whether this is a particular sin at a particular time with a right. particular judgment. God judges sin. And in the case of the Israelites, this was in Numbers 21, they they were rejecting God and God says, well, let's just wipe them out. And yeah. And it's really funny because each of these first two are actually pictures of Christ in the Old Testament. And the the first mm-hmm. one, the tenth plague, uh, the the lamb's blood that uh, co- coats the doors, is the portrayal of how Christ would would come between us and the judgment of sin. You know, with His blood shed for us. Yeah. And the snakes uh, among the Israelites, the to break the plague, Moses had to put a snake on a pole and lift it up uh, to to uh, stop the plague. And that lifting up of the snake in the wilderness is actually referred to in the New Testament as a picture of Christ. Mm -hmm. So the third one we wanted to bring up was the apostles at the first first Easter. And this is, you can see it uh, obviously in the beginning of Acts while they're waiting for the Holy Spirit. And then also mentioned in John 20, uh, they were cowering in their homes. They had no clue what had just happened with with Christ dying. And it was not a situation that they were prepared for mentally to have followed Christ and lost him. And they were they were locked up in fear. Yeah, they were locked up in fear. And they're sheltering in place. (laughs) But they were doing it out of fear. (laughs) They were on the lamb. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Uh I couldn't resist that pun. So this was the first Easter, and uh, they didn't know that Christ would fulfill his prophecy that he would t- destroy this temple and build it up again in, in three days. But then these same apostles that were cowering in fear in the first Easter were just months later preaching openly before the temple in mm. Jerusalem and being stoned to death and taking on all kinds of martyred deaths for the cause of Christ because he was proven to them to be risen and they believed it. Uh, it was proved without doubt. And so they went out, they broke their fear and they went out and took on the gospel and spread it. And so I just leave you with those three things as pictures of Oh, you know, it's just like each of these is points us back to the sacrifice of Christ. There's absolutely no reason that we as a Christian community can't use these examples pointing to Christ to to point others to faith in our risen Savior uh, right. as we struggle with the this fear of, of illness and death in modern day. Honestly, you wouldn't be able to get me to believe or rather say that, you know, um, COVID-19 or COVID-19 <laughs> is a specific judgment by God on the world. Because you, I don't think – you can't back up that specificity in Scripture. And if it's not backed up in Scripture – and it's just not true. But when I get to heaven, if God tells me that's the case, I'm going to believe him. So <laughs> I'm I'm okay. <laughs> I'm okay waiting to find out. But like you said, this virus exists because creation, like man, is fallen or creation fell with man more accurately. So this all points back to our need 
for the sacrifice that Christ made on the cross. Mm-hmm. And the fact that uh, if you have not accepted Christ's offer of salvation, when you die, it's for good. You go and you suffer for all eternity in hell. And can you imagine being a parent of, say, triplet four-year-olds in this quarantine? That's pretty close (laughs) to what they're going to be experiencing for all eternity. (laughs) You sound like you almost know that from experience. (laughs) I plead the fifth. (laughs) Well... I think this is a great opportunity for revival. And if Christians are not using it as a means to tell the world about Christ, they're really missing their chance because there are a lot of people needing hope right now. Even without the virus, having the economy shut down and having jobs lost. And uh, this is a situation where people are literally living at at home with all of the shortcomings of sinful man condensed into a house full of people, except for those of us who are single and are in quarantine by themselves. But <laughs> abusive situations can be, there's no way out. You know, you're stuck in a house in abusive situation. There's uh, people yeah. who would normally be at work and are literally, I mean, driving themselves crazy, especially extroverts who are used to, who really need that, uh, day-to-day interaction with people just to express their personalities. And it's a situation that can become very dire. Mm. Just in my neighborhood yesterday, I uh, saw a massive amount of police suddenly appearing in my neighborhood, and I had no clue what they were doing there. And I lit- later found out that there was a 60, 60-ish gentleman who had brandished a gun on somebody else in the household and they were treating it like a hostage situation and brought in SWAT and police from like three different departments because they're on the County line. And it was um, Mm. quite the exercise. They, they were able to get him to surrender and come out, but, and nobody was hurt, but it's, it's those kind of situations that are made worse by a stay at home order where everybody is, you know, stuck at home and dealing with, you know, whatever insecurities they have. And this is the time when people need hope. And the only hope that really lasts is the hope of Christ. And so we need to be diligent in sharing that with our friends and neighbors and not just taking it for granted that they don't need our help, that they don't need us to speak into uh, the despair that is going on in their homes. And I'm pointing a bunch of fingers at myself right now because I'm an introvert and I'm perfectly Hmm. happy Staying at home with my doors closed, but I need to be checking on my neighbors. I need to be making sure that everybody gets what they need, and and uh, yeah, if, if nothing else, a kind word from a safe six foot distance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So that leads right into talking about everyday heroes because this movie uh, really talks about several people who go to heroic endeavors yeah. in order to save children. And in mm-hmm. in the context of the movie, Seppala didn't really have anything, you know, any risk to him and his wife. They looked like they lived outside of town. They weren't really exposed to diphtheria. He had just come in from a run. So he was ready for a break. And, and uh, there's a scene where he's waxing his sled runners and his wife is like, so you are going to take this run. And he's like, I didn't say that. I'm perfectly happy staying here. I haven't been here in a while. Mm-hmm. I need to stay home for a while. He he seemed to be reluctant to commit to going on this run, but they needed him to. And we did find out looking into the actual history of Sepala and his wife that they actually did have an eight-year-old daughter at the time of this, which I don't know why they left yeah. out of the movie. It seemed like... Yeah, I was a, curious about that too. An odd uh, omissions, considering the fact that it gave him some motivation for to making the trip and risking his favorite dog, because they really, you almost kind of feel like in the way that it's portrayed in the movie that Togo is almost like their child. You know, it's like... Mm-hmm. The dog was especially important to Constance because she had raised him as a sick puppy. And uh, even though Seppala 
was just willing to let him die because he was a runt and useless. But <laughs> you really get this this feeling that they're risking their child, you know, that this this whole concept of taking Togo on this run was against Constance's wishes and, and Seppala didn't think he would make it. And they had to do it anyway because they needed the motivation to make this run. And the the hazards were incredible. I mean, we we're currently hailing as heroes the truck drivers who are staying on the job and to get, deliver stuff to our stores. And don't get me wrong, these people are risking a lot to, to be continuing yeah. on the job. And it's not easy because a lot of the way stations that they would normally stop at to sleep and eat, they can't stop at because restaurants mm-hmm. are closed and there's no place to, to, to stop and rest as they're making these cross-country treks. So these guys really are modern day heroes in the case of COVID-19. What Seppala right. did with his dogs is way above and beyond. <laughs> yeah. So he is an everyday hero. Uh, and a real hero. Yeah. I mean, he really did it. And and he wasn't the only one, though he went the furthest. And with his dogs and, and Togo leading the whole way, uh, he he did like, I think, 10 times farther than any of the other relay runners, uh, mushers and dog sleds. Mm-hmm. What was his motivation for doing it? And it was because he cared enough about the people who needed that serum to make that choice yeah. and to, to ride into that storm. He did it because it had to be done. It, his yeah. community depended upon him. And uh, it's the way uh, – I don't it, I don't know if Sepp was actually, you know, that stoic in real life as Defoe played him in the movie. Yeah. But it was a good balance and informed the – you know, it informed the audience about the character's decisions. He he didn't have any intention of going on the run, but he was also a realist and knew that he would probably be going on the run. Uh, what was oh he said? I have no inclination to right, and I think he felt like if he sent anybody else, that they wouldn't survive the run, and then it would have been worthless because the the cost of life in the community if you didn't send the best team on this trip. Yeah. And when he left, he didn't know it was going to be a relay. He thought he was going to go all the way, exactly. the whole distance, pick up the, the stuff and bring it all the way back. He thought he was doing the whole run himself. And so, I mean, for him to step up and take that responsibility, knowing that he was probably the only one that could do it and come back with the serum. Because the whole point was to get yep. the serum back. It wasn't to prove anything, to make any records. or The whole point was to get that serum back in a timely manner. And, you know, like so many things in, in my life, I, I tie it back to examples of soldiers in combat. And, mm-hmm. You know, when my buddy Rob is uh, was standing outside a... Uh, the door of a building in Iraq that needed to be cleared, he didn't have any inclination of going in there and getting shot at. Yeah. But it had to be done. So he did it. And he, you know, he had his team with him and they accomplished the mission. And, and that's the same kind of stoicism that, that we see from Sepp in, in this movie. Mm-hmm. That same kind of devotion. And I appreciated that. And the same yeah, kind right. of hero, hero, heroship. That's not a real word. <laughs> um, heroism. <laughs> heroism. Thank you. There we go. <laughs> well, this, we see that same kind of heroism in our medical officials today because a lot of them are yeah. getting sick and dying, and the the idea of going in and you know a lot of these they can't go home to their families because if they go home to their families they have the potential of infecting their families and so they're working mm-hmm. around the clock take probably taking naps on out of the way corners in the hospital because they can't go home as you have pointed out this is not a short sickness it takes a while to get over and so these people are literally being the comforters and the caretakers of people who can take days and sometimes still die. And yeah. I've seen some pretty heartfelt videos and posts from nurses that have watched people die of this illness and 
the saddest thing is that they can't have their family there with them. And so they're, they're dying alone and except for these nurses and mm. doctors, and that's a lot of pressure to put on our medical personnel to not only be the caretakers, but to be the last ones to be with somebody when they die. I, my hat's off to them. <laughs> it's, I, I do want to call out. There are a number of community groups out there that are stepping forward to support these everyday heroes, these modern heroes, uh, medical professionals, the doctors who can't go home. There's a group that my wife told me about just the other day called RVs for MDs, where they are renting and borrowing RVs to put in the driveways of doctors' homes so they can go and stay in this RV at their home and be near their family, even if they can't be in touch with interact their family. Interact with them. Yeah, and, interact with them. Yeah. And they can that kind of the coming together as a community. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. Exactly. Uh, that kind of coming together as a community is is, is so uplifting. It reminds me a, a, a bit of, you know, how people were just after 9-11 before the politicians got got a hold of it. I I appreciate that it's that this very difficult time is bringing out good in in people again. Yeah. Bringing us together as communities and as neighbors and people checking on people. And while there is obviously still the nasty side of things, my parents mentioned that some friends of theirs, they were at the grocery store as a couple back before when they were still letting couples shop together, which they're not now even not letting uh, you do, but he, she had needed to use the mm-hmm. restroom. And so he was standing outside waiting for her to come out of the restroom. And he saw this well-dressed like businessman going around and touching everything he could touch, literally opening the eggs and touching every egg and handling everything what? on the shelves. And he was just completely puzzled by it. He couldn't figure out what this guy was doing. You know, in, in that kind of situation, it's just like disgusting behavior some, from some people yeah. that are, are just um, truly evil in my mind. Whether or not he was infected with anything, just the thought of somebody going and handling food that someone else is going to come behind him and buy is just totally disgusting. It, it is the definition of terrorism. I mean, yeah, doing something specifically to cause fear in others, right? In order yeah. to establish a political statement. So, who knows? Yeah. Maybe he could be charged with domestic terrorism. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's it, And the thing is, is that that does, just like it, this kind of thing can bring out the good of people, it can also bring out the bad in people as well. And But I'm just so thankful that we do have the medical system that we have in the U.S. and that we have true doctors and true nurses who truly care that they're not just in it for the money, that they're willing to work the long hours and put themselves on the front lines. As President Trump has said multiple times, these are our soldiers in the front lines of a war against an invisible enemy. Mm-hmm. And we definitely need to be supporting them and, and uh, giving them the, the accolades they deserve for what they're doing. Yeah. And, and just to, to wrap the topic up, but the Bible tells us that this is exactly what we should be doing. First uh, mm-hmm. Peter 4.10 says, Just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. And, you know, even if it's non-believers out there, that's still what they're doing is they're using their gifts to serve. Yeah. And uh, it, it's it's good to see. Well, one of the things that comes out really interesting about this movie, as we have both stated, neither of us had heard of Togo, but we had both all, well, both had heard of Balto before this. (laughs) It turns out that Balto got the credit for a very interesting reason. Number one, he was the, the one of the lead dogs on the last sled that brought the serum into Nome. And so... The other lead dog was named Fox, and the journalist on site thought that people would think that one of the lead dogs was actually a fox. And so he decided to use Balto as the picture of the triumphant, you know, victory of Mm -hmm. getting, you know, the serum into Nome. And so he took a picture of Balto and made a big deal about him. And he was just really one of two lead dogs that brought the finals, the, the final run. Not saying that he didn't undergo 
some tough road. Right. You know, in fact, I think they said that that last team ran through a storm to get to Nome. So it wasn't like uh, they had an easy road. But nobody had heard of Togo. And Togo ran so much further than Bolto did. And in fact, he nearly died. He was in very bad shape at the end of his run. They had to recuperate in one of the way stations. And and according to the movie, I don't know how true this was, but he basically had to walk Togo home. He couldn't because Togo did not want to um, forego his position as lead dog, but he was too weak and, and hurting too much to actually pull the sled. And so he had to walk him the rest of the distance home after the you know, the mission was complete. It was a situation where this dear dog owner had put uh, his best dog in harm's way and literally thought he'd run him to death. And he didn't get any credit for it. And Balto got all the credit for it. And I was thinking about how important is it that we get the credit we deserve, which one little point of fact that most people kind of leave out is that though the driver that of the team that Balto led bringing the serum in mm-hmm. was was not Sepala. The dogs that were on that team were Sepala's dogs. Yeah. <laughs> so Balto actually belonged to Sepala. And yep. Togo was just his choice. He had a whole bunch of dogs. He raised dogs. That's what he did. He raised and and trained dogs for sledding. That was his job. And mm-hmm. so he had bunches of dogs, and it was Constance who actually picked out the team that had Balto and Fox in the lead and um, yep. for that final run. And they were Sepala's dogs. But he was very upset that Togo didn't get the recognition, even though Balto was his dog and did get the recognition. So I just thought that was an interesting point of fact. But I think that sometimes we get, as Christians, too hung up on getting credit for things. And I am probably the first one to raise my hand and say, this is me, mea culpa. I am at fault for this. I like to be recognized. I think most of us like to be recognized when we do things right. But in Matthew 6, 1 through 4, it says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your father in heaven. So whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. I I actually memorized the Sermon on the Mount a long time ago, and this was one of my favorite passages to just remind myself over and over again that what we do doesn't have to be seen by men, that God can uh, give us the credit that we need and deserve uh, through our salvation and through our rewards in heaven, that it isn't necessary for people to recognize in us the good that we do in the world. And, you know, when we do get credit, when we uh, when we get the earthly credit, when we're recognized for doing something good, that serves God's purpose, too. We're, we are getting that credit because he intends for us to get that credit. So we need to accept when we do and when we don't. Proverbs 16.9 says a person's heart plans his way, but the Lord determines his steps. So mm-hmm. whether whether or not we're recognized for what we have done, it's God's will that that happens. I mean, let's face it, that's what being sovereign means. Yeah. But when we get the credit, it's so we can bring glory to God. Mm-hmm. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, I have this one posted on my wall. Uh, this is what the Lord says. The wise person should not boast in his wisdom. The strong should not boast in his strength. The wealthy should not boast in his wealth. But the one who boasts should boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord showing faithful love, justice, and righteousness on the earth, for I delight in these things. This is the Lord's declaration. And, you know, Paul echoes echoes that later in the New Testament when he says that, you know, all the all the things that he is are are like trash compared to God, you mm-hmm. know, and and he counts it all as nothing because he wants to boast in the salvation of Christ. And that should exactly. always be our 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 boast should always be this is what God has done for me. This is Christ's work in me. I did not me, Lord, but you. It, it should always be our our motto. 
course, it is a little different when you think about it with Seppala and Togo because Seppala didn't necessarily want the fame for himself, but he was upset that his dog didn't get the credit. So it wasn't like he was looking for credit for himself. Yeah, his was more of an injustice thing. Yeah. Before we finish up on this episode, I do want to touch briefly on the characterization of Togo in this movie. One of the things they do in this movie is kind of show the backstory of how Togo wormed his way into (laughs) Seppala's heart, because he was kind of a demon puppy. It was kind of like this, everything he did was just seemed so mischievous and, and wrong. And uh, he'd dig himself out of his pin and he'd break windows. And he even says at one point, St. Francis of Assisi would shoot this dog (laughs) because he's just so, (laughs) just a major annoyance. He's like, gets in the, in the way on everything. And he makes it. It, Just how, how much destruction this dog causes. And and, (laughs) yeah, yeah, I know there's dramatic license, but there's a scene where he's walking across a, the shelf uh, in a workroom that he's been locked in and because he uh, takes himself out of his pen. Yeah. And uh, just like every, every workbench, you know, that uh, uh, in America, it's got glass jars of screws lined up on the shelf. And as he's walking across the shelf, he's knocking off each glass jar and it's just crash, 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 crash. Just, I was like, Oh, <laughs> I was ready to shoot the dog. Yeah. And then there was a scene where, which a lot of these, uh, when you look at the historical story, they said that these things really happen. Like one of the ways he tries to get rid of the dog is he sells him to a a woman who wants a mm-hmm. guard dog and a house pet as a guard dog kind of thing. Yep. And the Togo literally goes through a glass window to get out of the house and breaks the glass window and goes running all the way back to Seppala. Well, the the end of the movie, they make a point of drawing this conclusion, whether it was the true conclusion from real life, but this is what Seppala comes to the realization that Togo's wasn't really uh, a master sled dog because you know, he was bred to be a sled dog. It was because he he truly was devoted to Seppala. He loved Seppala and he was willing mm-hmm. to do anything to just be with Seppala. And so, of course, the movie ends with him being, you know, we we just kind of retired together and we gave him a, you know, a quiet life where he sired puppies and, and just, you know, hung out with us and he quit pulling sleds. And that's a happy ending. It wasn't quite that way in real life, but the point was that, in the movie was that they realized that Togo just wanted to be with Seppala. And so they just gave him that and, you know, no longer making him a work dog, but just to be with Seppala. And I was thinking about that in, in this is not of course a perfect metaphor for our trust in Christ, because I think Seppala depends on Togo a lot more than God depends on us. So it's not really (laughs) reciprocal, but we have a very special relationship with our master and Christ is the one that we should be so devoted to that we are willing to go through anything to be with him. And I think sometimes we lack that kind of devotion for Christ. It's like, yeah. I think especially Western Christianity, we become so comfortable that we don't uh, we don't under we don't foresee hardship and toil and pain as being trials that make us stronger in our faith. Instead, we we cry about them and and get upset about them and and we don't see how we're growing spiritually through them. And so, you know, Togo went through a lot of pain and toil to stay with Seppala and to to be devoted to him. And I think that we should have some of that desire ourselves in in dealing with dealing with our master who is Christ. I mean, yeah. as Christians, we are called to be servants of God and servants don't necessarily have easy lives and we can't expect our lives to be easy because we're following Christ. In fact, I, ju- I do want to bring this up because this was an interesting fact that was, you know, like highlighted at the end of the movie, right before the credits, that Togo's devotion was so important that they literally started a breed from his stock. So there's the, the mm-hmm. Sepala Siberian Husky is based on Togo's stock. I mean, he, he sired puppies in his later life and 
he his devotion was passed on to generations there they said that the the sepala siberian husky is valued because it does create such devoted dogs that are just willing to go the extra mile and and just really form these really intense bonds with their masters and yeah that's that should be what we are as as christians we should have that intense bond with christ i mean we we talk about devotion devotion to Christ, but uh, um, 1 Kings uh, 8, uh, verses 16 and 61 mentions being wholeheartedly devoted, and uh, I'll read uh, read that in a second, but that's what we see in Togo is the wholehearted devotion, and what the verse says, uh, verses say are, may all the peoples of the earth know that the Lord is God, there is no other. Be wholeheartedly devoted to the Lord our God, to walk in his statutes and to keep his commands as it is today. And that wholehearted devotion is is pictured, is reflected in, in Togo's devotion to Sepala. And uh, even uh, in the words of Christ, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father or mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And uh, obviously this doesn't mean that you need to Love to cuss all out your parents less. and and yeah. <laughs> go become a hermit, yeah. But what it means is you have to love God. Uh, you have to love your Savior more, and that's a hard thing to do. It's a very hard thing. Yes, it is. We see that, and not only in the devotion of Togo in the movie, but in the dogs that we at, that we have at our feet, the dogs that that are in our houses. They are totally devoted. Even in their disobedience, when they chew up the couch or, you know, ruin a good <laughs> pair of shoes, they're still totally devoted. And, and uh, that's the kind of devotion, uh, that's a, a pale reflection of the kind of devotion that we should be showing to God. Yeah. Well, I hope everybody has enjoyed this discussion. If you have more that you would like to discuss with them about the movie Togo or even about the quarantine, the current quarantine that we're all in uh, feel free to join us at the facebook discussion group which you can get to by going to are you just watching.com slash community or just look for are you just watching on facebook we have a page and a group we'd love for you to become involved you can also sh- comment on the show notes which will be at are you just watching.com slash 103 and you could also call us at 513-818-2959 and leave us a voicemail or you can email feedback at areyoujustwatching.com. And we, of course, encourage you to subscribe, rate, and review us on wh- whatever service you use to get listen to our podcast. You can find me on Twitter at E. Franklin. And you can find me on Twitter at Renchiple, R-E-N-C-H-E-P-L-E. And we, of course, would love for you to support our podcast. If you would be so kind to do, you can go to patreon.com slash are you just watching and join our current faithful supporters, Craig Hardy, Stephen Brown II, and Peter Chapman, who have been giving to us generously for at least a couple of years. <laughs> uh, yeah, but all three of them have Thanks, been. Thanks, guys. Yeah, long time. Yeah, we appreciate them. The, we are also thinking about adding a PayPal uh, way of support. If that is something that you would prefer to do uh, by, uh, rather than Patreon, please let us know by one of the means that I've already mentioned, and we will get back with you about supporting us through PayPal. So I believe that's it. Uh, we'll wrap this episode up, and I believe we're looking a little onward to May. Mm, yeah, it's, it could be an adventure. Yes, a very interesting adventure. So mm. uh, if you can decipher that hint, you'll know what we are doing for May, and we look forward to having you back then. Thank you so much for listening. I'm E. Franklin. I'm Tim Martin. And don't just watch. Are You Just Watching as a member of the Christian Podcast Community. Find more interesting podcasts on theology and Christian living at podcast.strivingforeternity.org.